are truly in the darkest timeline, so why not travel back to a simpler time, when your toughest choice was what to rent a blockbuster for the weekend, Face Off or Con Air. That's where the Talkbuster podcast comes in. Every episode, Chris Chipman is joined by a guest who lived their time working for Blockbuster. The good and the bad. It's a fun nostalgic dive that, if nothing else, is a great escape. Find the Talkbuster podcast on your favorite podcasting site today. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Ray. Who damn that Darkest Timeline is really feeling grim this week, uh, given current events and all. I... I think I know what you're talking about. I'm distracted by the fact that my leg just fell asleep as we started recording. <laughs> uh, I don't. I'm just going to say. The, are, you gonna, about, are you talking about the court thing? We don't have to go into details. Yeah. That, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, just, they're probably going to put a link for Planned Parenthood in the description. Go donate. And honestly, I really, truly do hope that this does help people in their weeks, uh, weekly day to day of dealing with the shit of it all. Because it does for me, and I don't want the uh, darkest timeline thing to be just a joke. I want mm. it to actually, you know, hopefully help people. Fair enough. Well, I guess that covers our how we're both doing. <laughs> so, so why don't we get right into our patron sound off, Ulrich? That's on you. Yeah, this list is getting uh, real long. I'm going to have to, start, it, have to send my uh, Micro Machine Man set. Yeah, you beat me to the Micro Machines reference. Just <laughs> talk about it with Woundvog, too. <laughs> Ah. We did, and I love these release out of order at random, so this either could be a reference you don't understand or a reference you do understand. It all depends how the schedule shakes out. Anyways, our patrons, they are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vane, Brendan Ayu, John Mills, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donald Lucy, Nathan Mills, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mills, Scott Rubin, and Derek Takare. Who all in one breath, all at once. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion and make that list even longer and really put my Micro Machine Man to the test, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents an episode keeps the lights on here, gives you early access to our content, does a lot of other great behind the scenes stuff. Now, this podcast may have started off as a reason for me and my brother to basically talk to each other once a week, but at this point, it's also an excuse to talk with just other cool people we've met. So joining us for this conversation, go introduce yourself, illustrious guest. All right. Uh, my name is Scott Rubin. I'm all around the internet at Norse meat. Uh, Norse like Vikings meat like steak. <laughs> uh, I am an author. I've got a cool nerdy kids uh, baby naming book, uh, but also good for naming anything. Uh, geeks love to name role playing game characters and characters in fiction and anything else you're naming. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge geek. I, I stream. I do sort of all the all the geeky things. And and famed hater of Henry Cavill. Don't forget that one. <laughs> how, how did this get put on? Whoa, me? whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. Anyway, Co- comments comments were made and taken out of context. Let's put it that way. Okay, I'll 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 go with that. Taken out of context okay. gives me hope. So <laughs> anyway, bring Scott on. We're gonna come back to something we haven't done in a while, but this is. Probably our favorite thing to do with guests, especially because we've talked with with Scott before on mm-hmm. on one of our other semi child podcasts, or Geeks of Grimdark, where we talk about Warhammer stuff. But here on the podcast Prime, I don't know what the right language is for this. We haven't had you before, so the thing we're doing, something we like to do, it's called the Pillars of Geekdom. To anyone who has not heard one of our previous 
recordings for a Pillars of Geekdom. The idea comes from a metaphor that me and Ulrich played with years ago when we first started interacting with each other on a regular basis. The idea is that your fandom, the things that you are into, is like a building of some sort. It started off because we were talking about foundational fandoms. Foundations are the things that you got into when you were in your formative years, like when you were very young. And so everything that you're into now has built on top of those foundation. Pillars can be foundations, they can be connected to them, but pillars are the things that you're into now that hold up the building that is your fandom. The rest of your fandom is in some ways built around these things. Usually they're they are the kind of things that you can trace almost anything you're into to being related to one of your pillars. Does that make sense, Scott? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting way of looking at that. Uh, yeah, because we we all I like to say that nowadays like everybody's a geek in some way. Um, you know, even if you're not like a sci-fi geek or a comic book geek, you're, you're a geek and maybe in the basic sports. The blocks are there. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, as exactly. a, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like like as that. a basic example, uh, one of a foundation of mine is Pokemon. That's also a pillar. So whenever mm-hmm. I'm into RPG games or like design-based kind of things, I consider that in some way related to what Pokemon kind of instilled in me as a kid. Warhammer is a pillar, but not a foundation because I didn't get into Warhammer till I was much older. But now I'm into so much stuff around it that it's definitely a pillar. So connected, but not the same thing. Cool. Anyway, so now we invite you here to tell us about a pillar of yours, and we'll basically just explore it. We'll have a handful of questions that we have for it, and mostly giving you a chance to talk about something you love. Sure. Uh, so my pillar that I've chosen to talk about today, uh, it is it is both a pillar and it's definitely foundational as well. Um, and it's I, I it'll be interesting to talk about this because I don't know about you guys, but there are fandoms that i'm into that i both love and hate at the same time i am an undertale and steven universe fan so yes okay <laughs> so so the so the thing i'm going to talk about tonight or today or whenever you're listening to this is uh is robotech robotech really you know i was yes. just reading about robotech today i didn't know sorry if i'm get, cutting you off a bit here no, no, i didn't ahead. know that the english release of robotech was actually three shows stitched together Yes. So Robotech, for for those of you who have never heard of it or maybe heard some disparaging comments, uh, and we'll get into why that happens. Uh, Robotech was a, a Robotech was a cartoon on in the United States that came out in 1985, and it has an absolutely fascinating backstory. Uh, in very brief, in the early 80s, um, people were just starting to get access to anime and import it into the U.S. There had been some previous things like Astro Boy and Speed Racer and Gigantor, but there hadn't been a lot so far. And there was this dude named Carl Masek who had this company called Harmony Gold, and he was he was 100% sure that America was going to love anime and we got to bring more of it over and it's going to make everybody money. And he had trouble because at the time uh, you couldn't – there were all these rules with TV and how many episodes a cartoon had to have in order to get into syndication. And I don't know if that's still true today. I, it, probably not because, you know, now cartoons are like 10 episodes a season. But um, at the time, it had to be 65 episodes uh, so that it could go 13 weeks. It's like this whole mathematical thing. Oh. Um, but at the t- at the time and, and actually now nowadays, uh, most anime series are not that long. Um, or they'll you need like year after year after year to get that many episodes. Yeah, thirteen so, being the most common thing. Now. Yeah, 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 exactly. So his his idea, which is absolutely bonkers, was he took three 
separate, distinct anime series that the only thing they had in common were human characters piloting transformable mecha fighting against aliens. And he licensed those three to be redubbed and put into uh, American on American TV and wrote a story that would make it all make sense together and obviously redubbed the whole thing with with all new dialogue. And I liken it to imagine if you took three totally unrelated vampire TV shows. So let's take Buffy the Vampire Slayer, True Blood and What We Do in the Shadows. And your job <laughs> was to your job was to remove all the audio write a story that would make those three things make sense within the same universe, maybe in like successive generations and then redub it all <laughs> go, <laughs> you know, I, okay. Two quick things about that. For some reason, your explanation made me immediately think of Escaflone, which I know mm. Ulrich doesn't know anything about, but Escaflone was an anime where when they dubbed it, they completely changed who the main character was, mm-hmm. which is why the dub is so terrible because they just didn't understand the appeal of that. But that already is problematic. And then I start thinking of things like the Digimon movie where they had to shove <laughs> two OVAs together to create the movie. And I just can't imagine how difficult those kind of things are. Now, this idea of a show doing it with three shows, like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine the difficulty of making I mean, I suppose if you're splitting up into generations where you've got different characters, you can that's a you can work around that. That still seems yeah. like such a difficult task. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 really impressive to go back and look at it. And and yeah, I mean obviously like I said the the three shows are are three distinct generations within the show, but yeah, there are it's explained that, you know, it's it's the same locations that look different because of different reasons. There are uh families, so this character in the second season is the daughter of one of the ones from the first season. And of course like the the animation style is a little bit different for each one, but they're tied at least together with, you know, the uh, the the transforming robots, which everybody loves, and that's that's sort of what's most important <laughs> for a lot of people. But um, I mean, that's kind of like giant robots. I'm sold. Yeah, yeah. So what is the uh, what is the for? I don't know how to phrase this properly. Cliff Notes version. Yeah, the Cliff Notes version of what they ended up going on to make this insanity work. <laughs> sure. Essentially, it's Earth gets picked out by aliens who just wave after wave of different aliens come and beat the crap out of Earth. And the humans have to fight back. Uh, and again, there's this larger story of there essentially it, it all is related to a power struggle that had gone on between alien species uh, long ago and far away. <laughs> and then certain things were sort of sent to earth as you know trying to get things away from the the enemies that were fighting and then it landed here and humans had to adapt to the technology and use it to be able to fight back uh, and then it keeps happening over and over again it's also funny that i know that this is almost certainly not what the people doing it were thinking of but we've seen generational seasonal anime slash manga work i mean literally jojo's bizarre adventure is that and is amazing so it's weird thinking about because i know robotech is what early 80s pretty old right yeah 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 so it came out here in 85 and the so the original robotech release is was stitched together from super dimension fortress macross so the original macross series in japan that came out in 82 i know Uh, macross yes 
Uh, Super Dimension Cavalry Southern Cross, which came out in 84 in Japan, and then Genesis Climber Mospita, which came out in 1983. Uh, so, yeah, so it's all early 80s and then put together here in 85. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this what uh, the first run of Gundam did? Uh, you like don't, they, just, I... they chopped down the movie into episodes or they combined? Okay, but that's... That's like a separate I, thing that happens. I know it's its own weird thing, but I know this is like sure. not entirely unheard of because this is also kind of the Power Rangers format. And I feel mm-hmm. like between the 80s and the 90s, a lot of the stuff they imported from Japan was basically, for lack of a better word, making sausage out of, we got <laughs> this and we got this and kids like this. Let's yeah. all just, you know, combine it together. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Power Rangers because that's kind of a good example of, you know, because Sentai has existed for very long time and the basic premise of power rangers is take all the sentai footage that doesn't involve actually japanese people mm-hmm. and replace <laughs> it with with american people so it, it's that say well in that time because like anime started really getting waves in the states you know in the early 80s with things like fist of star and whatnot but it still was super niche it's really not that niche anymore but from a business perspective it doesn't surprise me at all that you know scott you mentioned this or we have to have a certain amount of episodes. So it it doesn't strike me at all. There's a lack of like, oh man, I don't want to use this word, but a lack of respect for the material. So that mm. instead it's just like, just slap together what we can so that someone can see this. And I- There's no disrespect. I, it was totally about let's sell some toys. Yes, but I'm guessing because I know Robotech is super influential. I've never watched Robotech, but I know Robotech is like, has influenced a lot of things, has inspired a lot of things. I know there's a lot of yeah. like games and and even like there's a war gaming thing for Robotech. I'm pretty sure I talked to someone about. So yeah. like I know that it was successful, but that doesn't change the fact that it probably came from a very cynical place in some regard. I don't know this man you're talking about who like thought that anime was going to take over, and I guess he was right. He was just ahead of his time. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and so that's where. <laughs> So, so Robotech, if, if you bring up Robotech to a person who is of, of a certain age, uh, you may get – there's a, there's a small percentage of the population who are like me. who are like, oh, I grew up with Robotech. I was six years old when this came on TV, and it was and it, it changed my life. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, my God, I'm going to love this forever. Um, people no, I'm just looking who, at, like, images of it. It's like, oh, this would have blown my child brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then you have people who are either a little bit older or a little bit younger who got into anime more than American animation and will spit on you for talking about Robotech because it's a bastardization of Macross. Uh, nobody mm. really cares about the other two series. <laughs> I mean, well, they, Macross fans of them, but Macross is super influential in its own right. So I yes. I, I want to be very clear. I am not like a, a an anime snob. I think that, you know, I, I personally, this reminds me of the Digimon argument where like I'm one of those kind of people that thinks that certain shows that came out in the States are just, they just were better when mm-hmm. they came out and said, sorry, I think Yu Hakusho's dub is better than it's sub. And I think that Digimon altogether was actually delivered better as a show once it was in English. And I know there are some anime fans that get rabid about conversations like this. But If but, you but, want to yell at Axel on Twitter, his Twitter account is not the same as the main Twitter account. Please keep your anime opinions to yourself. I won't understand them, and I don't care. So because I have familiarity with this community, I totally understand what you're saying without ever having to see it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, it's, have a bunch it, of angry anime avatars yelling at me <laughs> using terms I don't know and characters I don't understand. And I'm just going, what the, what are you talking about? What is any of this? Well, there yeah. are fair versions of it. Like I mentioned Escaflone earlier, and that's a great example where it completely failed at what mm. it was trying to do. And there are a lot of potential reasons for that. But this seems like, from this description, I feel like just because Robotech utilized Macross, I, I think... Power Rangers is a good example because in my mind, Sentai and Power Rangers, while they share footage, are completely separate things. Yes. And yeah. And I get the feeling that Robotech, I would feel the same way. Like Macross is its own thing. Just because Robotech utilizes Macross to construct part of itself doesn't mean it's a bastardization. It's a different art piece that happens to be partially constructed from another art piece. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I I would agree, but some people out there would not agree with that. <laughs> yeah, well, as we said, there are, when you get rabid people in a fandom of any kind, it purists are, can be difficult to deal with. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, so again, I, I'm little me, six years old, the show comes on, not only does it have... And, and Ulrich, you were talking about how, and, and you're absolutely right, that a lot of cartoons in the 80s were purely half-hour toy commercials. Uh, <laughs> many of our favorites that if we go back and look back at them are terrible and There's unwatchable. There's nothing wrong with being based like to sell toys. Power Rangers sure. was based to sell toys, and I love Power Rangers. Yeah. But there's uh, a reason they got new cut new weapons every week and new zords yeah. and new <laughs> it's Christmas yeah. time and right now a Robotech again probably mainly because it it was from anime series that were a little bit more uh, I'll use the word mature and then I'll explain what I mean by that but especially the well actually all all three of the series that combined to make Robotech Robotech is is a mature cartoon. Uh, main characters die. Uh, there are love triangles. There are discussions of love and music and culture. There are defectors in war. I mean, there are, and then of course there's silly stuff too. But um, it's it, it. There's a lot about that show that if you're an adult or a older kid watching it, you can get a lot out of it. Not just here's a cool design, go buy a toy of it. Yeah, I mean, honestly. As you said before, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Some of my favorite shows, I you could argue, were, were just that. I'm a big Teenage Mutant Turtles fan, for example. <laughs> so, But it's interesting because I have this idea in my head that I have not fully fleshed out into terms that we talked about before, me and Ulrich have, about the nature of children's animation and adult animation and teenage animation, and that a lot of times some of the best, most mature storytelling can come from when a creator or an artistic is creating something for kids, but with respect. Yep. Sure. Yeah. We've seen that really recently in like a lot of the shows that are coming out. It's like, this is aimed at a younger audience, but I'm not going to dumb it down. Right. Yeah, and oddly enough, something about being quote unquote restricted in the children's space. I think it's like a haiku, how something about adding limitations mm -hmm. elevates the medium. I think something similar happens mm. with good children's animation, where by limiting yourself to what you can show, but still trying to be respectful, you find new ways to deliver the same types of feelings and emotive mm -hmm. experiences, and it actually is an elevation of the medium. I know that I have not watched Owl House, but everything I've heard of oh, Owl House. Oh, you need to watch Owl House. Yeah, so. yeah Owl, Owl House is amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I felt that I felt that about things like Steven Universe and Star Wars Force sure. of Evil and Gravity Falls. So I get it. And Robotech, from your description, sounds like it's almost doing that, in, but an additional thing of, okay, now we have this additional limitation of making <laughs> our parts function together. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, well, and, and again, and it, it is, it's interesting to, to consider that the original anime series, like all, like most anime, was not made specifically for children <laughs> but but the harmony gold importing these things was like now we're going to put this on kids tv and kids are going to watch it but you know it's like you know would you say that gundam series are for kids yeah, I, not not necessarily exactly and of course what i'm saying <laughs> and what i'm saying can backfire like what happened with one piece was originally dubbed so it's not yeah. it's not always going to work but i was yeah. just based on what you were describing with verb tag is what came to mind hold on before we go any further, so aliens send things to Earth to fight us. I got a Pacific Rim vibes off that, which is kind of neat. What yeah. can tell us about the, I guess the generations who are our quote unquote main characters, just so we have context. Sure. Uh, so yes, the 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 first generation of Robotech, which is the Macross part, uh, the main hero is Rick Hunter. He's a young pilot. Uh, who gets thrust into this intergalactic war and has to sort of decide if he's going to be a soldier or not and follow in the footsteps of his sort of adopted big brother who is a mili- career military man. Uh, and then Rick Rick is a, at the beginning, he is a amateur pilot, but then he joins up with the, uh, the military force and becomes a, a leader and, you know, helps save the day. Uh, his... His mentor, his older brother, quote unquote, is Roy Foker, uh, who is a, a very popular character. And again, that he's the one who dies halfway through that series, which is so crazy. Now, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, and then, of course, there's Min Mei, who is almost as famous by herself as she is in Robotech. She's the <laughs> the initial uh, romantic interest. She's very young. Arguably too young, but we don't need to get into that. Uh, I have seen this is, design before. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, she is a she's a girl who wants to be a pop star and an actress, and she's very flighty, and at times pays attention to Rick, and at times doesn't give him the time of day. And then as he matures, he realizes that she's not actually the one for him, and that's again there's a there's a love triangle there. But then like the 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 best friend is uh, Max Sterling, who is arguably the best pilot in the entire fleet, and he ends up falling in love and marrying one of the aliens, uh, and proving that there can be you know cooperation between the species. Uh, she leads him actually in one of the coolest scenes. Miria is her name, and she shows Max how to disable the enemy Mecha without killing the pilots, and it's like holy crap, like that's that's huge for a kid show, quote unquote, a kid show. Uh, and then that becomes, you know, a theme. They're trying to save the aliens and teach them about music and culture because they all grew up as clones in a just purely military society. Uh, and then half of the aliens side with the humans against the rest of the aliens at the end. It's it, it it's really good. <laughs> I'm I'm already interested. This sounds interesting. And and they fly and they fly what are essentially uh sci-fi versions of tomcats that transform into giant robots and sold <laughs> yes i i have definitely seen those 
those designs, which are awesome in general. <laughs> yeah. And then but I'm and also again, like, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, we're in the same brain space now. No, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to move on. So essentially in the in the second uh, phase, it's Dana Sterling, who's the daughter of Max and Miria from the first one. And she's part of an army that gets left behind on Earth while her parents generation go off to uh, sort of stop the next war in space before it happens. But they get kind of lost. It's kind of like a warp situation. Their teleportation ends up taking longer than they expected. Uh, the enemy comes back to Earth in the meantime and fights the the humans who were left there. Uh, oh, so it's more... Quick. Just yeah. for my just for my image searching, what was the name of the first protagonist again? Uh, Rick Hunter. Rick Hunter. Thank you. He's got like really great 80s anime hair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. And just my... Well, the reason I wanted to look it up is because I didn't look him up before, but I had looked up Minmay and then I sure. looked up the one you were just talking about, and I was like, wait a minute, how did the blue-haired girl create the red-headed girl? Yeah, it's... <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then... And I, I, I should say that Rick ends up marrying uh, Lisa, and that's the, the main love interest in the first one, and she's the second-in-command of the spaceship that they're all on and using, uh, and she's great. Lisa's awesome. Okay, so yeah, so sorry, in the second... Yeah, and so the, the, the second part, Southern Cross, is is more of like a gritty ground battle against invading aliens, and they have uh, essentially transforming hover tanks. And then there's, oh. there's a bunch of other stuff in, in that one, too. Uh, and then in the third series, uh, Earth has been completely taken over by an alien race, and a, a pilot comes back to Earth as part of a, a force to try to take the Earth back, and he's the only survivor of that wave, and he becomes a freedom fighter, collecting people along the way uh, to take the Earth back. And so there's and and that series, uh, the main character is again he's a he's a soldier and a pilot. His name is Scott, like me. Uh, mm-hmm. And among the people he collects are um, uh, uh, another former military guy who essentially has PTSD, uh, another former military man who moonlights as a female singer. So Sorry, sidebar, this, but this Scott, uh, Scott Bernard, by the yep. way, seems to have a lot more, maybe I'm seeing this might be from the movie, but he's definitely got a lot more like an adult kind of design than the previous two pro tags. So, so yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Continue. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so essentially there, there's this character who is either dependent on your interpretation, either a, a cross-dresser or potentially a trans character, which is really interesting to go back and look at that with sort of modern Dangerous sensibilities. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and and that character, too, falls in love with an alien character and, and helps reconcile alien thinking with human thinking and how we can sort of all get along in the end. Okay. I, I have so many questions. <laughs> well, th- there's a lot. And uh, I, I will say that one of the... One of the coolest things for me as a kid watching the show, uh, we get to the third the third phase of the show, the third Robotech War, and the main character is Scott Bernard, which is my first name and my dad's first name. My dad's name is <laughs> Bernard, and it was like, oh my god, the show was the show was meant for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah, but um, but yeah, and it's just so cool. And uh, sadly. <laughs> Behind the scenes, uh, the company who made the show uh, did, did some things that 
weren't super great and have continued over the years to do things that aren't super great. So there's a lot of baggage around Robotech uh, that makes it a little bit of an unfortunate fandom in some ways. All right, well, hold on. Before we get to that, because I do want to touch on that, yeah. let's get one of our, you kind of already answered this, but just for sake of like, you know, level setting, tell us about how you got into it. Like specifically, you mentioned being like six years old and it coming on. You remember it? How well do you remember that? Like, how did you get into it? Oh, yeah. I I remember sitting down in front of the TV and watching it. I, I would record episodes on our VHS to bring them over to sleepovers to rewatch episodes. Uh, I was I was all about it. Um, my my parents, when they found, you know, obviously they, they were around and I was telling them what I was into, but they would go and look for the toys, which were not super easy to find. But I had a ton of them. Uh, I vividly remember they my parents went away on a trip and left uh, left my brother and I with our grandparents. And when they came back, they brought me back the SDF one toy, which I still have uh, <laughs> 40 years later, uh, almost. And um, and like I was in Little League and I was terrible at it. And my so my mom eventually said, OK, if you if you hit the ball, you can get any toy you want. And I got <laughs> And I think I think I, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was the very last game of the season and I got a hit and we went to the local independent toy store that had some Robotech stuff. And I got, a, again, a Robotech toy that I still have now. Uh, yeah. And then and then through like as I got older, I read all of the novels. I got oh, all of the, 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 the I got all the role playing game books. Uh, I've I sort of continued along with. Uh, with the fandom as as I've gone on, this is yeah, a much so, bigger thing than I thought. Like, oh yeah, I know Robotech is an, huge. I knew of it as an anime, and I knew of it as a miniature war game, but I wasn't sure where the intersect was. Yeah, and like well, looking it, at some of the toys, it's definitely filling in. Like, I remember getting some of these from you know, like mm-hmm. random yard sales and stuff, and I have no idea you what also, it was. You also need to understand, Ulrich, that Macross, which is one third of Robotech in Japan is also huge and was like yeah. super influential on the mecha genre. So yeah, there's yes. a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, and that is okay. So Macross in Japan is still releasing new projects. There's a new one that, that I think just came out, uh, which is obviously in a totally different timeline and universe than Robotech ended up being. So what, ha- so in brief, um, Harmony Gold created Robotech, put it on TV and <laughs> Without getting too deep into the legal issues, uh, there were two there were two Japanese animation companies that they were working with to get the license to make to redo the shows as Robotech. Uh, one of them, it was a pretty congenial relationship. One of them, it was not, <laughs> and so there was a huge break between that studio and Harmony Gold, and then it became through various legal wranglings and tons of lawsuits in from the eighties on until very recently. And maybe we'll get to that, but um, Robotech existed outside of Japan throughout the world. There was robot. Uh, there's a big Robotech community in Canada. There's a big Robotech community in Mexico um, and in South America. And Macross was restricted to basically just Japan. And then everything outside was bootlegs and so no Macross series has officially 
come to the United States ever since then. With a little bit of a of a gray area with Macross 2 and Macross Plus, but those were small, very small sort of niche sequels. Um, I I would be willing to say, uh, so that Aura could wrap his head around this, that yeah. Macross would probably be just as much of a household name as Gundam here, if not for this divide that Scott's talking about. Oh, for, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and so that's created lifelong enmity between fans of one thing versus the other thing. And uh, I mean, like any any people like me who's been a fan of the toys that are coming out in Japan for Macross and wanting to import them, everything costs more money because, you know, obviously you have things like eBay, but like there's no official uh, stateside distribution for that stuff. Um, I, like I said, until recently, they actually the the companies made peace um, last year, which nobody saw coming. <laughs> As a quick knows, side note, that's the kind of story that gives me hope for Megas XLR, which I will no. never stop having hope for. Anyway, oh, that's another good one. Continue. Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, so 1986, the Robotech series is done, and everyone's saying, "Well, now what?" It it was relatively popular at the time there were toys made by matchbox um that were based on things that some things that had already been out in japan for macross some things that were new and everybody there were a lot of people who wanted more give us give us more so harmony gold uh they licensed out again there were there were a bunch of toys they licensed out novels which were uh, uh, based on the show but the novels were a whole additional level of maturity so the novels were written by quote-unquote jack mckinney who's a pseudonym for james lucano and brian daly and if you are fans of science fiction uh books you might recognize those names uh because uh james particularly wrote a bunch of the star wars novels and just a whole bunch of other stuff like they're they were very prolific that's why that name struck yeah and the books are fantastic. I think they're – I'm trying to remember how many books there were, but they wrote I'm reading right now there of, are 12 Robotech books. That doesn't seem like the full amount. 12 just from the first series this, maybe? Just, this is just from Jack McKenney. There are 12 published okay. Robotech books. There's also – Interesting. That, that author, quote-unquote, also right. wrote uh, something called the Black Hole Travel Agency, four stories for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, something called the okay. Sentinels, five stories for that. That's Robotech, yeah. Okay, well, uh, then I am that wiki is separating sure. them into different bullet yeah. points. So <laughs> okay, so so while okay, so that's going on. So the novels are coming out. Um, Harmony Gold licenses out Robotech to Palladium Books. Now Palladium Books is a company that makes role playing games. Uh, to this day, they're still around. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are another. Highly problematic company. Um, oh God! Well, <laughs> I'm uh, sensing a theme here. Yes, yes. Uh, but at the time, they they were putting out Robotech RPG books. Uh, they put out a whole bunch of them. They're actually they're really cool as far as like background information and source book kind of stuff. Uh, it's based on the Rifts system, which is okay. It's fine. Whatever. Um, but that so these things were sort of like keeping Robotech alive while Harmony Gold was trying to figure out how do we do more animation because we don't have access to any more footage from Japan. So Harmony Gold, they wrote a new 
a, a sequel series that was going to be called The Sentinels that picked up where the end left off. It would bring back characters from the first gen, well, bring back characters from all three generations in this really cool story of them going out into the, into space and meeting new aliens and blah 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 blah. Uh, Harmony Gold was able to scrape together enough money to make sort of like three episodes that they released on VHS as a like a teaser kind of thing, and that's and that was it. Uh, by the, by show, the way, just so Ulrich knows. Even before the Sentinels, there was a robot. I'm reading this. There was a yeah. Robotech movie that was made from yet another <laughs> o- series. Right, called... but, we, but we we don't really talk about that one. <laughs> oh, I, okay, I have no idea. I'm just saying that this I'm reading. I'm sure. a fourth series they brought in just for the quote unquote movie. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, uh, what have you brought us? I feel like we stumbled into something we were not prepared for. This exactly. is like the Franken cartoon. Yep, yep. <laughs> What's a uh, Franken cartoon? And there's feuds and there's epic backstory yeah. and there's factions and yeah. So so yeah. So Sentinels it 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 only had those three episodes. It never got off the ground. But the Sentinels content was really good. And the Sentinels novels are fantastic. The Sentinels role playing game stuff is fantastic. Um, and then there was then there were the the really sad years when there was nothing new of Robotech coming out. Uh, they would. They would re-release the VHS sets over and over again with special features and things like that. When DVDs came around, oh my god, there were there are so many Robotech DVD sets that came out. I, I have most of them, unfortunately. Uh, each one would be <laughs> like slightly different or slightly updated or one new feature. It's ridiculous. Um, you got mad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, but and then it was a really long time before there was any movement in Robotech. Harmony Gold, they so one of the problems with this whole scenario is that the mastermind behind Robotech was really this one guy, Carl Masek, who he, he was he was Harmony Gold in the 80s. Uh, he died not too long after all this stuff happened, and there was a huge power vacuum and leadership vacuum. And it seemed like everybody else was sort of scrambling to see what they could do with the property. Uh, Harmony Gold has always had a really tight grip on the property, uh, for better or for worse. And it's 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 interesting to sort of look at Robotech in relation to things like it, Voltron, because mm. Voltron also has been owned by the same family uh, since the 80s, and they also have been. I forget what the name of the company is, but um, uh, they've also been very protective of their brand. But they've also been able to have more things come out. There was a, you know, there were there have been two more Voltron series over the years. The the Netflix one is highly highly regarded. Um, this is very very good. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, Robotech man, they tried. Well, if I'm reading this correctly, just you can correct me because I yeah I don't know how accurate this is. Uh, Makek died what roughly around the 2010 because i'm seeing that in 2011 there was a documentary that was dedicated to his recent passing so i guess it was 2010 i thought he died earlier than that interesting okay well the reason i'm bringing it up is because it looks like in there was a separate thing happening in 2002 with someone named tommy yoon who was you know what i'm talking about yeah so he's he's one of the guys who took over and had some interesting decisions for for the company and the property. I, I didn't want to step on your toes, but I wanted to make sure we were kind of doing this in a somewhat order. So sure, sure, sure. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, over the years, they would try to put new things out and, and it, there were a lot of issues with how things came out and, and when um, a lot in of this, in a lot this of case, false starts. Be, yeah, sorry. In this case, it would be uh, something called Robotech The Shadow Chronicles. Yeah, so that actually came out, and it was a new movie uh, that was a sequel to... So it's a sequel to the original Robotech series. It included some aspects of the Sentinels storyline, um, but it, it was its own thing. It was a DVD, it was essentially a DVD release. There was some theatrical stuff for it. Uh, and it came out in 2006. And it was a very exciting time uh, <laughs> for us Robotech fans <laughs> who've been there since 1985. Finally, there's new animation. And it, Shadow Chronicles is, uh, it's a mess. Um, they definitely went with the lowest bidders for animation studios uh some of the animation in it is really good some of it is really really bad it's a mix of of like cell shaded stuff and cg and it's it, it, it's a mess but yeah. but it was new robotech and it was very exciting <laughs> and, and to validate what scott's saying i'm counting at least 12 projects that were either abandoned or oh, yeah. or like just a jump start or just like a 60 second promo yeah <laughs> Yeah. They're, they had one that was a UN public service announcement, apparently. The hell? So, yeah, they, yeah, they it, did some weird stuff. <laughs> this is this is very short. I'm just going to read this. A 60-second public service announcement for the 60th anniversary of the United Nations featuring Scott Bernard and Ariel was animated during the production of The Shadow Chronicles. Although it did not use the original voice actors and the dialogue was somewhat out of character, it nonetheless <laughs> marked the first fully completed Robotech footage in many years. Yeah. This is so, a and, fascinatingly weird story. Yeah, and and again, like we hardcore Robotech fans, we were desperate for any little crumbs that we could get. So and, Shadow, yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I, so Shadow Chronicles comes out. It's it's cool enough. Uh, it it sort of revives some interest. They announce that there's going to be a sequel, and then they announce that they've sold the rights to a live action Robotech adaptation. This would be September 7th, 2007. Yes, a date that will go down in infamy. <laughs> so, and uh, Warner Brothers had acquired the rights, it looks like. Yeah, in, initially. And my God. So <laughs> uh, so you've, I, I'm sure you two and the listeners have heard the, the phrase development hell. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a Del Toro fan. I know all about the, yeah, yeah. hell. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, so Robotech started in it and continues to be in it to this day in 2022. <laughs> yeah, like literally uh, April, yeah. tw- or actually, without dating too much, a week ago, it was announced mm-hmm. that a certain producer would be making the movie, which is uh, connected to Disney Plus's Hawkeye. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so at the at the time, way back in in 2007, the idea was. Look at the Michael Bay Transformer movies. Um, you, it, it, for better or for worse, I, I'm not a fan of those. But what they were saying was, look, you can do transforming mecha robot things on screen uh, mixed with humans. It's possible. There were there were rumors of a live action Voltron movie at the time. So oh, like, I remember that. Yeah. So they're like, let's get Robotech out there. F- now this is crazy. Yeah. 
from what I'm reading, when it was originally <laughs> acquired by Warner Brothers, it was being produced through McGuire Entertainment, as in yep. Toby McGuire. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Toby McGuire. Yep. He he apparently he loved it and wanted to be part of the project. Uh, and again, that's just the first in many names that would be attached to this movie and then gone away. Uh, now that that all would be fine, except and then th- this is something that I've I've talked about on my streams and podcasts and things before. A lot of people don't really understand, but when you have a property that's not super popular and a big-time movie studio gets the rights to make a movie, that movie studio essentially steps in and controls that property until the movie, until at least until the movie comes out, because they have to protect the brand. Mm -hmm. Because once they make that deal, it's Warner Brothers' brand now, and anything that Harmony Gold does with Robotech could potentially hurt future ticket sales of a Warner Brothers movie. And what that meant for Robotech and Harmony Gold was it just completely stopped any other projects from moving forward. Ah. So there, there was again, there was going to be a sequel to the shadow Chronicles. Um, It seemed like they actually produced some animation for it. I I remember seeing a trailer, a very brief trailer at Comic-Con. I guess it was in 2007 or 2006. I don't know, but um, it just completely killed it. Harmony Gold was clearly not allowed to do any new animation whatsoever from then on. Uh, and again, and that takes us to today in 2022, nothing new has come out since then. Yeah. And again, uh, and any listeners, other names that have been quote <laughs> attached to this, at, there was a point where, from what I'm reading, Leonardo DiCaprio turned down a role in Star Wars Force Awakens. <laughs> Because he was showing interest to Star as the main character in Robotech. Also, I'm seeing that James Wan was going to direct it for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some. I feel like, depending how Netflix does with their Gundam, whatever that ends up being, Hmm. could kind of maybe bring this from the dead. Especially if it's still at Warner Brothers, but Warner Brothers has yet to go more than a year without a major shakeup at the studio level. So who knows? You know, it's one of those things where at this point, I remember reading an article earlier that actually was mentioning Robotech and it talked about like the the best, the closest thing we have to something like that is Battle Angel Alita, which was in Mm, development hell for about 15 years as well. And it finally got made and was actually pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. And and so I'm just wondering if like, (laughs) how do I put this? I am a big proponent of animation. In general, I think that Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think animation or live action are intrinsically better than the other. I think they serve different purposes and Mm -hmm. they can be used to tell a story differently. And so the idea from what you're describing, because I had not heard this this like control thing. It doesn't surprise me. I've not heard it before. But the idea that basically a developmental hell live action film has prevented any animated stuff from coming out strikes me as especially tragic. Yeah, because listening to this, I can see a way that you take everything, boil it down and go, okay, let's do round two and Mm -hmm. take what works, ditch what doesn't work and make a really incredible animated series because we've got like decades of other content we can go. You like that? Here's everything else we've spun up. It becomes the Spaceballs joke. Well, another (laughs) funny thing about this, and I'm going to say something that you know, might get me lynched in certain <laughs> groups, but I want to be very clear. 
I hate the Transformers films vehemently. Yeah. Fair. Yep. But one of the reasons why Michael Bay is not right for that property is because Michael Bay has basically got a huge thing for army aesthetic, soldier mm-hmm. aesthetic, and like military equipment aesthetic, yeah. which is not what the Transformers are. He makes the Transformers side characters in their own movie. But from my understanding and your description of Robotech, Robotech has robot designs that are largely pretty practical adaptations of actual military hardware based on those planes. The mm-hmm. robots are not their own sentient characters. It's about soldiers and pilots. Yeah. I'm not saying that he would make the movie like they'd be the best choice in the movie. I'm just saying that he's a better fit for that than he ever was for Transformers. So Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. There's and in fact fans have sort of like pieced together little fan made trailers and stuff, and a lot of them use footage from Top Gun and like and it's it is a similar kind of thing. Yeah. I mean this you could I could definitely see a world, an, a parallel world, but that's sort of what you're talking about, that Michael Bay picked up this property, made a super gung-ho American military version of it using, you know, whatever the current planes are, that's the one that they use to transform. A hundred percent, yes. Yeah. Um, well, it, there, without delving too far into conspiracy theories, but <laughs> it's, it, it is, I will admit that it is also possible that Harmony Gold has used the movie adaptation rights as an excuse not to attempt to fund their own future further animations. That is also possible. <laughs> How does I, I don't want to go too much more into this kind of line of questioning, but how does Harmony Gold make their money at this point? That is a very good question. And it has some very <laughs> interesting answers. Uh, they've made a lot of money over the years suing people. <laughs> <laughs> you love to hear. Yeah. Uh, they've sued Hasbro. They've sued everybody associated with Battletech and MechWarrior because uh, some of the designs are similar to things from Robotech. Okay. I was wondering why MechWarrior looked so similar. Yep. Uh, so that all has happened. Uh, and very interestingly, also, Harmony Gold is not only a uh, production studio, but it's also they have they have a, a theater here, well, sort of near me in Hollywood that they rent out for like big events. And they also have a an arm of their company is in real estate. It's very strange. Very, very strange. <laughs> it sounds so shady. It's. This is the weirdest thing anyone's ever brought to this show. (laughs) Well, what's funny is, like, we've had these questions we want to ask you about the material, but we just go down this rabbit hole (laughs) behind-the-scenes stuff that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it starts as this weird mecha anime that was cobbled together from three other ones and becomes this weird Game of Thrones-esque level insanity that I don't even know. Okay, we... Can we talk about the miniature game or the Kickstarter? <laughs> do, I do it. Know Go for how it. How the miniature game works? Like I thought, I did not connect these two as related items. Okay, so first off, <laughs> uh, so I talked about the the role playing game, which was from uh, Palladium uh, Palladium Books, and the uh, for the for the all of the faults of the company with regards to their role playing games. The, the books were great. And again, the books, the role-playing game books really enabled fans to come up with their own stories and continue celebrating Robotech for a long time. 
Oh boy. Uh, in the in 2013, Palladium launched a Kickstarter for a Robotech miniatures game called Robotech RPG Tactics. Prior to that launch, they had started working with a company called Ninja Division, which is no longer in existence. They've changed their names multiple times to get away from this. I have uh, heard of Ninja Division. I've, I've heard them before. Yeah. I don't know what stories, but the name really strikes a chord for me. Ninja Division was a company that would, they were essentially um, facilitators and sculptors for other people making games. And they had done a lot of really good work. Uh, they did. Um, they were also part of Soda Pop Miniatures and Cypher Studios. They 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 worked with a lot of other companies to make a lot of games. And they, I feel they were, like, sorry, I just feel like you're yeah. throwing these terms at me that are taking me back to at some night like six years ago where I went down a <laughs> rabbit hole and I am vaguely remembering it. So yeah, <laughs> continue. Yeah. Uh. So so essentially they had they had Ninja Division sculpt all these miniatures for them and they looked awesome. And Palladium says, okay, we're going to make those. We're going to... Palladium had never made miniatures before in any large capacity. They had done a couple of, like, little one-off metal miniatures, but not, like, a sizable line of plastic miniatures. But they were convinced they could do it. They, uh, That's <laughs> a great scratch. way to start. Yeah, <laughs> start re- record best. scratch. Uh, they could <laughs> not. So they have this Kickstarter, and this Kickstarter just promises the world just endless amounts of miniatures, uh, a box set that has just tons of stuff in it. They've got wave after wave of miniatures they want to make. And the, the Kickstarter was, it was very successful. It's, uh, it made a million and a half. I'm not, I, I don't, I don't have the, the exact number in front of me, but I think it was like a million and a half dollars or something. It, it was, yeah, almost a million and a half. Uh, it, a lot. It, it it seemed like this was going to be an awesome full game with all of this, all of these miniatures and all this stuff. <sighs> and then and then came all the messages about the delays, which, you know, is it happens it with happens. Kickstarters. But there were years of delays, uh, all of these excuses and essentially everything that could go wrong went wrong. Uh they had all of these issues with communication with the factory. Uh, somehow, according to them, the digital files they had were the wrong file type and had to be remade from scratch. Uh, it was just, it was one insane problem after another. They finally, this game? so they, they finally did come out with miniatures. I am seeing they, some on, on yeah. Google image search here. So. Yeah. So they made so essentially in in like late 2014, uh, they came out with with a wave one. They said, okay, well here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna just do all of the core models and start sending that out to people. So like you'll get some of your stuff right now, and we can start selling those also to help make up the cost to make the rest of it. Which anybody will tell you that's a huge red flag. Yep. Uh, and then the model, so then we, we started, and I say we, because I invested heavily into this Kickstarter, uh, we started getting our models and we were, and we all looked at them and like, what the hell is this? So what that means, Scott, you're allowed to say whatever you want about it. (laughs) So now if you're an experienced model builder, uh, these models are not terrible. However, they seem pretty, okay. Just based on the search I'm looking at, they do seem pretty basic. 
they're pretty basic, but they are they're pretty they're, they were fairly poseable. The problem is they were dozens of pieces to make a two inch tall robot. Dozens? dozens of pieces, the tiniest pieces, and it every not every, a good design. No, as a, as a no. Warhammer player, I'm used to a two inch model being like maybe in the ten to twenty piece range, yeah. depending on yeah, posability sure. and option. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, I mean, there are quotes here about literally like the 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 battleoid, the robot version of the like the main mecha was sixteen pieces for a tiny little, fairly simple looking robot. Um, it it wasn't great. And so there were not a lot of sales of these outside of the people who had already bought in on the Kickstarter. And then some time went on and time went on and time went on and Palladium came out and said, uh, we ran out of money. We cannot fulfill the wave two. They're never coming. Uh, we will, we will take out in trade what you were waiting for for wave two and give you more wave one product, which pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. the models were not great. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I accepted it. I got a bunch more stuff. I've got a closet full of the crap to build yeah. one day. It's fine. Um, uh, not coincidentally, Palladium at that time also announced that they were about to lose the Robotech license. And oh, so Jesus. they would be making no more Robotech. They would uh, basically, they like they had no way of recouping any of their costs. Uh, and they were just... I don't know if they were wiping their hands of all of it or Harmony Gold was wiping their hands of it, but it it killed it dead, gone. Um, it was a very sad time, <laughs> to put it mildly. And there were, and again, as every one of these things that has come along, the the failed additional projects, this Kickstarter, like the hardcore fans from the 80s just shrinks. The group shrinks with every one of these failed events. I will say and, the model for the uh, YF4 is mm-hmm. pretty awesome looking, at least. Yeah. Now, now, <laughs> in in the last few years, a, 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 a I'm sorry, a Hong Kong company has gotten the license. They're making incredibly detailed resin models that are only a few pieces. They're fantastic. Uh, they have a Kickstarter that just ended to turn it into an actual. Um, it's basically a, like a skirmish game with potential add-ons, uh, and they're doing great. So it's they're, they're, there's a new company that's taken over, and it's awesome, and we love it, and we love to see it. So, uh, yeah, we're putting the Palladium stuff behind us and embracing the the kids' logic stuff, and it's good. <laughs> All right, from a from a behind-the-scenes standpoint, let's move from there because that's a somewhat positive note. Yes, <laughs> let's let's come back to the actual property for a second, <laughs> and just ask. Why, in your words, do you love this property? For all of the complexities surrounding its creation and its birth, it has a really good story. And it's and it's well-written, and the characters are relatable. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's a really good story. It sort of has everything you'd want in a, in a space opera that's animated. It's got good, decent to good love stories. Uh, you know, characters who are dealing with interesting dilemmas and problems, uh, and and it just and it looks so cool. Uh, it I find it endlessly rewatchable. Uh, again, yeah, I'm I'm biased. I I literally grew up with it, 
But uh, it it's funny. There's in the first in I, I don't know if it's in the first episode. Maybe it's the first episode or second episode. Um, Rick, the main character, is talking to Roy again, his mentor, and is sort of chiding him like, you know, you went back into the military. This is what we were we were supposed to be in the, this flying circus together. How come you can't leave it behind? And Roy says this Robotech stuff is just so exciting. I just couldn't give it up. It just gets in your blood or something. I don't know. <laughs> and and it's like it's the perfect quote for the fans because that's exactly what it did for a generation of us. And again, I don't know how many of us are left, but <laughs> but I, I truly feel that way. And it's something I can always go back to um, anytime I look at the many toys that are on my shelves or my the lineup of the books and the role playing game books that I have. Like, I just get such a warm feeling going back to my childhood. Uh, and again, and, and it actually is still a, something that I can go back and watch, unlike some other 80s properties that are not watchable anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's always the risk you take when you go back to a, a childhood thing. So that's why there are certain things I will not go back and rewatch. I have fond sure. memories of a movie called The Warriors of Virtue that I know will not hold up to a rewatch. So yep, I don't nope, watch that, it. That, that exists in the happy memory I have of it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, one. One more. I mean, I don't know if Ulrich has another question outside of this, but this is. I have least, so many, but they're not pertinent to the episode. <laughs> yeah, but this is my, at least my favorite question. Part of the reason of the metaphor of the the building is that, mm. you know, it's like you live in your fandom. Your fandom can serve all these functions for you. It's a space that you exist in. So. What does this pillar, what what does this being one of your pillars say about you? What do you think it says about you, anyway? Ooh, that's a really good question. Well, you know, and I was, and I, maybe a slight a slight tangent, but when you were talking about the, the the pillars at the beginning, you were, and about also about the foundational ones, and so I'm, I'm gonna answer that my own question first. But uh, getting into Robotech at such a young age kicked off so many other things that I've been into. So loving Mecha, loving transformable robots. Um, I got into Transformers around the same time, but definitely it helped from Robotech. Uh, the, there was a Macross toy that was in the Transformers line, which was another whole crazy thing. Uh, if you, if, if any of you listening are familiar with Jetfire, mm-hmm. uh, so Love that's Jetfire. a whole other, so we, we can talk about that separately or later, but um, I, the, the the role playing game books were one of my first intros to RPGs in general, um, and then you know that became a big part of my life. So there's there's a lot of stuff that I became interested in based on the the stuff that I was seeing it through Robotech. Um, now what is what does being a fan of Robotech say about my about me? Um, I think it <laughs> it's sad to say, but I think it shows how how important nostalgia can be, especially for a property that has had so many hurdles and has not continued to produce a lot of content over the years. Um, I'm things that I really got into and loved as a child. A lot of those things I'm still into. Um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a huge toy collector, so I have a lot of toys from my childhood, and I've continued to add toys. You know, in in the, those collections. Um, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big kid at heart. So I think, yeah, it's, 
it's it's sort of a, a continuous thing that I've always had part of my life, um, for better or for worse. <laughs> because I again I've I've lost money on the Kickstarter. Uh, <laughs> I've I've been disappointed by by the the things that have happened over the years. But I've still I've still stuck with it, and I still have hope that there's more Robotech to come one day. I, I admit I'm a sucker for a good loyalty and or hope story. So <laughs> that works for me. All right. Well, then at this point, do you have any, I guess, concluding thoughts, things for anyone listening to take away from this examination of your pillar? Um, I would say that if if you if you're listening to this and you are not familiar with Robotech at all, um, and but you are you have some interest in anime or you know giant robot stuff or transforming robots or fighter plane stuff, you might want to check it out. Uh, it is on Crunchyroll as of now, <laughs> so you should be able to access it there. Uh, there are Blu-rays, there are DVDs, there's everything else. But um, even going back to the original series, like I said, I I do feel that it holds up better than a lot of other properties and it's cool and then again and maybe there'll be a live action movie one of these days <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> this was such a fascinating conversation oh, like there, i was and, aware of this because of warhammer's weird recent relationship with it but i didn't realize it was this yeah and and we didn't e- we didn't even touch on the comic books that went into really weird places uh, and again, I could talk about the toys forever. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a lot. <laughs> well, you know what? We're gonna have to find an excuse to bring you back to talk about those things. Then I think. <laughs> so. yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, then it's at this point, uh, in order to thank you for coming on and sharing this crazy story with us and tell, talking to us, which we I had a great time with. I'm betting Ulrich did with by his perplexed voice. <laughs> that. We give you the special soapbox where you can plug anything you want to plug. Awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, main thing I have to plug is my book, Naming Your Little Geek, and it is available anywhere books are sold. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those other websites. Uh, bookshop.org and IndieBound are great websites for buying books that actually support your local independent bookstores. So always, if you're buying a book online, check there first. You know, th- those those are really good, good ways of buying books. Um, but yeah, Naming Your Little Geek. It has almost 1,200 name entries, uh, and it's all based on names of characters from all of our favorite things. Everything from Star Wars and Star Trek to Lord of the Rings, comic books. Uh, like I said, I distilled all the names. I've got 1,200 entries. I tell you where the name comes from, what it means, all the characters who've had it, any interesting commonalities I found. And I reference almost 4,400 characters throughout the book. Uh, it is a baby naming book, but of course, geeks need names for their computers, their Wi-Fi networks, your swords, your plants, your anything. Uh, so, it, and it's also just fun to read about crazy characters. And after listening to me talk about Robotech for forever, it's a pretty good bet that I put just about every single Robotech name into, into the book. <laughs> I, I started typing "naming your" and uh, it was the first autofill above nice. "naming your little girl." So awesome. <laughs> I wonder, probably says <laughs> something about my system, but let's go for it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can check that out. And uh, and like I said, if you want to follow me and I I stream, I do all sorts of other funny and weird things on the internet. Um, so I'm everywhere at Norse Meat, Twitter, Twitch all the all the places all right well then it's at this point 
to we move on to a slightly new topic, which is we do a thing here called Suggestions of the Week, where it can be related to what we've talked about, but it doesn't have to be. Just something that you have been into recently to recommend to the people listening. Of course, I feel like at this point you got to recommend Robotech just on principle. But <laughs> sure. yeah, just, any... just throw a dart and pick some Robotech thing, apparently. It's all good, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But to give an example, uh, last night I watched seven episodes of season two of a show called Russian Doll. Have you wow. two seen this? I, I have started not. season one and I didn't click with it and I haven't gone back. Uh, that's fine. So season one really clicked hard with me. I'm a real sucker for the Groundhog's Day plot mechanic in general. And something about Russian Doll's writing, which is heavily involves Amy Poehler. I don't know if she created herself, but her name's always prominently in the credits. And it shows, <laughs> I think. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's a Netflix series with Natasha Lyonne, one of my favorite underutilized actresses. Although I guess she's not that underutilized. Big star from Orange is the New Black, I guess. Anyway, it's... She's stuck in a Groundhog's Day situation on her 36th birthday in season one. Season two doesn't do the Groundhog's Day thing. It actually does something different with time, making it kind of this odd black mirror thing where it's like the same characters, but they're going through a different almost trope of things. Point is, it was good. It wasn't quite as good as season one, but if you're a fan of things like Groundhog's Day or Happy Death Day or Palm Springs or anything like that, then give Russian Doll a shot. It's Better than most of those, I think. Cool. I'm going to go back and check it out when I eventually cycle back to Netflix. But uh, going into mine, I've been enjoying the hell out of HBO Max lately. Like, they went from having nothing to just an ocean of, oh, shit, there's a lot of good stuff on here. And one of the oceans with a lot of good stuff on here I discovered is The Righteous Gemstones. Have not heard of it. Uh, this is Danny McBride's latest venture. Ah, now, see, I personally am not a fan of Danny McBride from an acting point of view. He's, he's an amazing an, producer, though. He's an amazing producer. He's an amazing yeah. writer. He's an amazing director. I just he's one of those actors that he's the the characters he plays kind of great on my nerves. Fair. That said, I love John Goodman and John Goodman is in this. And this also is very funny. Basically, the story is the gemstones are a televangelist family that are you know one of those ones of they just every family has everyone on the family has a mansion on a compound and they have their own theme park levels of rich well and the first season is all about danny mcbride being you know blackmailed and the things that and everyone in this family is it's it are terrible people because of course they are they're rich fundamentalist christians of course they're terrible people <laughs> but you feel kind of bad for them because they're not they're this unique blend of terrible people and you really feel bad for john goodman who is the head of this family who just wanted his kids to have what they wanted and just looks and goes what the hell did i create <laughs> and john goodman is just acting his ass off as this poor beleaguered father who's also just a terrible person because again he's a rich fundamentalist christian who's like jesus wants you to give me money to spend mm. you know time at the righteous gemstone family fun park yikes <laughs> and it's so good it's so funny but it's also just again really well written and the first season runs like okay if it's we only get one season, we only get one season. To go to the second season was like, oh, people really dug this. Okay, now let's really, you know, 
get out there and do some wild, crazy things, including remind you that John Goodman is a terrifying motherfucker. I've seen 10 Cloverfield Lane. I know. He channels that in season two, which is so funny because he kind of goes from this John Goodman, America's uncle uh, patriarch to this. Oh, no, John Goodman could kill me if he wanted to. (laughs) Also, Adam Devine's in it. He's funnier than people give him credit for. I don't like him either. But again, Mm -hmm. but here's the craziest thing. This is all based around Danny McBride's kind of upbringing because he almost became one of these Southern Baptist priests because his father was. So I was talking to our friend Seth, who kind of grew up in one of these Christianized cults. Ironically, we may have been in the same one. Um, And he's like, yeah, no, this is all actual stuff. These are actual people. In the second season, there's a cult of strong men. Wow. It's weird, it's wild, it's funny, and I love it. And that is, you got to go check it out if you're just looking for something to watch. Huh. All right, Scott, what do you have to suggest for us? So this might be controversial, but I'm going to recommend The Halo Show on Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have not if... seen it yet. I okay. have heard some things, but they sure. were the kind of things that I was like, I don't know if I buy that as a legitimate criticism. So I'm curious to have someone I, I can actually speak to tell me about yeah. it. <laughs> so I am I'm not a huge Halo person. Um, I don't really play video games all that much. Um, I, I, I know I know things about Halo. Everybody knows a little bit about it. I've got a bunch of Halo toys. Um, so I, I went into this fairly un, uh, encumbered with lore and uh apparently those there are lots of people out there who are not in my situation and take issue with a lot of this the stylistic and visual and even story choices about the show but as just a sci-fi series on tv it's fun i'm I'm enjoying watching it yeah no uh just peek behind the curtain there is currently plans to have you back on Scott as well as Bert to kind of do a roundtable talk about it because I'm interested in watching it because I hear things I like and I hear mm-hmm. things I don't like and it's like I want to have a discussion with this. Yeah, and I, I think do. Bert just kind of got roped into the conversation against his will. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I do feel like, like Halo you know, is the kind of property that, for lack of a better term, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Oh I, yeah. I don't yeah. think it was ever possible to make one that make an adaptation of it that wasn't going to be problematic to some sizable portion of its audience yeah and and, i want to talk about it yes yeah for sure um yeah but briefly yes um hearing hearing the complaints that i'm hearing and like they're they're prominent youtubers that i listen to for their sci-fi information and they just they absolutely hate the show but the reasons seem very strongly rooted in well this was my interpretation of the universe from the games and this is doing it differently so i hate it and it's like I, well that's, that's why i want yeah. to get bird in here is i don't think i've ever heard yes. negative about anything sure. and the way he's describing it is it's bad and it's like well if bert doesn't like it that what's, <laughs> what's wrong, wrong with it's really it? it's really funny for me to hear because like i've got a group of friends who are super and i mean super into the witcher before the witcher was mm. ever a show like they were yeah. book fans they played the role play together they loved the games and the main thing i heard from them all is yeah the show is basically a completely different thing but we like it <laughs> and i feel right. like yeah why can't you just look at halo like that so 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's why it's 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 planned. We just have to get everyone's schedules to align. Okay. Cool. Hmm. All right. What's what's Halo on right now? Anyway, available. Uh, yeah, Paramount, Paramount? Plus. Here, Not here in the plus. United States. I don't, I don't know outside of the U.S. I'll have to find someone with Paramount. I don't know if I know anyone with that. I'll find, I'll figure it out. So. <laughs> yeah. We inch closer to actually doing something we say we're going to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that means it's time to take us into our outro. Thank, but first of all, thanks one last time, Scott, for coming and talking with us. Oh, it was my pleasure. I, I, I love talking about anything nerdy, and I could talk about Robotech forever. <laughs> Oh, this was awesome. I look forward to the eventual documentary someone's going to make on this oh, franchise. Yeah, <laughs> there actually is one already. <laughs> I, I think there are several, and um, that Toy Galaxy YouTube channel—they've done. Yeah. I think they've He's done like six two. episodes on it. Maybe. They've done oh, a lot. That's like yeah. I've watched that a couple times, and I always forget that I've watched that, and I know this because it doesn't <laughs> stick in my brain. And then yeah. just like, wait a second, I watched a Toy Galaxy about this, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, this is a funny, weird franchise. I love it. This was a great episode. Anyways, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things that the algorithm demands of you, because without it, we just disappear, as does all of our content we've created. And if you're currently listening to this, then chances are good that you're currently listening to it on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or the FiresideAlliance.com. If that's not the case, then let us know on one of those sites so we can go look at wherever we're being hosted without our knowledge. Or if there's another place you'd rather us be hosted that we're not hosting already, tell us about that, and we'll look into that as well. And also, as, you can rate us on Spotify. <laughs> as always, this has been Lord Commander Auric. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Uh, be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>